Views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you to the Dr. Pacho. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. You know, it's really kind of fascinating, uh, you know, in terms of what life shows us, you know, what gets revealed to us. Um, I never thought in a million years, and honestly, yeah, I must say a million years, I never thought in a million years, and I've shared this with you guys before, I never thought in a million years that the life that I would have would be connecting with all of you uh, each and every day and then through bringing other people uh, to the forefront to chat with you every other day uh, and that this would last for 10 years. This is our 10th year, 10 year anniversary. And, and, and I, and I want to stop for a minute because I have to take a deep breath sometimes just to remember how absolutely gra- grateful my life is. And someone asked me a question not too long ago and, and I'm telling you folks, you're going to be excited about tonight's show. I, I am so absolutely jazzed about the conversation I'm getting ready to have here with Janet Connor. Forget about it, as we would say in the Bronx. But what I want to say is I woke up this morning and I had my day started from such deep gratitude because I have such amazing friends. I started this morning with our Wednesday morning uh, coffee tea conversation. So we've been doing that for close to 20 years. I had some friends, and we were kind of reflecting back. Then I get off, and I go to the studio, and I have two hours of radio that I do out of KKNW uh, and then syndicated at the 11 o'clock hour. My first conversation is with, uh, you know, Jack Perkins. I have a conversation with Jack. We're talking about God. We're talking about Christianity. You know, we're talking about Jesus. Then I get Michael Shane on, who is a, a channel, a transphysical uh, a phenomenon medium. And we're talking about uh, entities and spirit. Now I get to talk with my very, very special guest, best-selling author, uh, Janet Connor, about the lotus and the lily. How do we access the wisdom? And the book is Access the Wisdom of Buddha and Jesus to Nourish Your Beautiful Abundant Life. I have to say this title of this book again for everybody out there. If you didn't hear it, this is this is what we're talking about tonight. The Lotus and the Lily. 
Access the wisdom of Buddha and Jesus to nourish your beautiful, abundant life. I have to tell you, I, I, I wake up and I come and I do what I do. Come back to the office. I get to hang out with really incredible people. I have Linda read me a story of one of our listeners, and I, I can't even talk about it because I'm going to cry, about one of our listeners and, and an email she she, she sent um, asking that her mother's song be played on her show. And now I get to have a conversation with Janet Connor. And you know, guess what? This is what we say yes in life for. This is what it's all about. You know, it's not always about the gloom and doom and the things that are happening to us and how we go about it. But what if we actually looked at that great paradox of prosperity, as Janet calls it? You know, what if we were to look at our lives and our world in a way that doesn't exclude the remarkable infinitesimal conversation that we can have with the universe now it is great that i get to chat with her i want to tell you this book is jam-packed with nuggets and i love her complete out of the box talking about the paradox alert so today fasten your seatbelt to change your life not at a snail's pace but at a nanosecond and the speed of life Janet, thank you for joining us here tonight. And I want to welcome you to the show. It's great to have you on. So great. Uh, to and it's a joy to be here, and especially in your 10th year. Woohoo! I'm delighted to be with you. Wow. Thank you. You know, I, I want to ask you about this for your own life. I, I, and I really mean this. I mean, I dialed the wrong phone number. And, and you know, uh, Don and the whole team here, they've heard me talk about that. But I want to ask you a question. You know, I read I, I read your books, and I, I, you know, and I and I love them, and I think about who is this person? You know, who is this person that can bring such a beautiful message out into the world? You know, writing down your soul, and you know, now this book. Who who does this? And and this is really you know how I want to start the show tonight. I want to start the show by talking about something that you say in the book about the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I want to talk with you about what is it that calls you to a higher consciousness? You know, what is it that enables you to sit down and, as they used to say, put the pen to write something like this? You know, what is it that you've discovered about life that can inspire all of us? Well, discovered is, or maybe stumbled upon, <laughs> would be the more appropriate term for me. I hope all your listeners understand from the get-go that I'm not talking to anybody from the top of the mountain. That all of these concepts, all of these ideas did not come to me because of study or I have some, I have advanced degrees, but not in any of these kinds of things. Life was my teacher. Life was my teacher. It was never on my radar screen to have the life I have now, as you were saying about yourself at the beginning, not in a million years, right? right. Well, when I, my first career was teaching the deaf. I did that for a decade. My second career was headhunting. I did that for over a decade. 
Then I was an independent human resource consultant. At no point in, on any day when I had those jobs did I visualize that one day I'd be on the phone with you talking about my third book <laughs> and that my entire career, the only thing I do today is write books, newsletters, speak, teach, travel, and introduce people to these spiritual soul, these soul-level spiritual practices that I stumbled upon crawling around on my hands and knees. So what happened that got me down this road that opened the door was I was going through in 1997 uh, off the charts terrifying divorce. I had the, the spiritual practice, you know, of a symbol. And when I was so terrified, I used to spend my days in the living room with the blinds shut mm. so I wouldn't be the victim of a drive-by shooting. I was so terrified that I, even if I, my brain had said, you know, Janet, prayer would be helpful right now. You know, Janet, journaling helpful would be helpful right now. I just couldn't. I'm sure many of your listeners have been in that place where because of financial fears, health issues, addiction, a death of someone you adore, in my case, the big, big trauma was a terrifying divorce. But everybody, it seems, everybody in life faces some kind of, oh, my God. Well, simply because I was desperate and because the dog brought me a copy of The Artist's Way, <laughs> I simply began. I picked up a pen without having any idea what I was doing. I had no idea that when I picked up a pen and wrote, Dear God, comma, across the top of a page, in the spring of 97, that I had just zigged and I was going to leave my human resource consulting life behind and end up writing spiritual soul-level books that people love. Mm. You so, know, I, what I love about this story is that uh, the artist's way. Now, I don't know if you know this, but um, it's Julia Cameron's, I think, her 20th or 25th anniversary for the book. And I got to interview her recently. And and I had the same experience (laughs) with her book that you did, except I I couldn't write it. I, I learned to speak it. It's really interesting. How many souls do you think that woman has touched? Oh, you couldn't count them. You couldn't count them. When I ask people what books have changed your lives, The Artist's Way Mm -hmm. probably comes out of their mouths 20, 25% of the time as one of the most important books in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it changed mine with this real simple, I'll get it out and read it to you. It's so important that I'll read it, uh, that I quoted in my own book, uh, writing down your soul. I know that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here oh, we're to going to talk about everything. The lotus and the lily. But um, when the dog brought me, here it is, in writing down your soul, when the dog brought me, I think the dog took pity on me, or my angel said to the dog, will you please help this poor girl? She's been sitting in the living room crying for three months. We're not getting through to her. you got to do something. So I started reading... The Artist's Way, simply because the dog brought it to me, and as much of a wreck as I was, even I at that moment could say, hmm, I think this is help arriving. 
I only made it to page 15, but will you listen to what it says on page 15 in The Artist's Way? Anyone who faithfully writes morning pages. Now, anybody that knows anything about The, about the Artist's Way knows that Julia Cameron calls that daily writing, that daily journaling morning pages. And I don't. You know, you can write at 2 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't care. But she calls them morning pages. Anyone who faithfully writes morning pages will, that's a promise, will be led to a connection with a source of wisdom within. When I am stuck with a painful situation or problem that I don't think I know how to handle, well, isn't that the perfect description of me sitting alone in the living room for three months with the blind shut? Talk about having a problem on clearly. I don't have a clue how to handle. Back to Julia Cameron. I will go to the pages and ask for guidance. That paragraph just I remember the feeling like the room was spinning. My life had been spinning, 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 spinning. That paragraph, those three sentences, it was as if the room stopped spinning and my internal soul's compass went and settled on true north. Mm. Now, I couldn't have articulated that at the time. I couldn't. But I raced back to my office, grabbed an unopened journal, and began to write, Dear God, comma. And that practice, that began a practice that changed my life and has now changed tens of thousands of other people's lives as they leave journaling behind and enter into true divine dialogue, writing at the soul level. Mm. So I didn't, um, you asked me, you know, what enables you? Well, Mm -hmm. it was coming nose-to-nose with these horrific situations and listening to what I would now call my soul's internal guidance. I wasn't conscious of that at the time. But what happened is I started writing this way. Nothing particularly miraculous happened the first five, six days that I did it. But one day, but I always felt better. I felt better. All I did was vent and scream and bitch and moan and yell at God. That's what I did. And probably for two hours. And one day, I think I got sick of hearing myself complain, and I asked a question. And because I was writing very, very fast, which I now teach as one of the seven steps to make sure you're not journaling and actually entering the theta brainwave state, I didn't know that at the time, but now I've done a little bit of research. And what's happening when you write this way, when you do anything at the soul level, you're getting into the theta brainwave state. That's where the magic happens. So I asked a question. I'm writing really, really fast because I'm so angry and upset and letting dear God know what clearly dear God is paying no attention to. If you had any clue what was going on here, you wouldn't let this happen, right? That kind of... (laughs) And I asked a question, and because I was writing very quickly, the words poured out of my hand in response to that question, and I didn't have a chance to edit. My left brain was silenced by how quickly I was writing, and I was stunned because what came out on the page absolutely, positively did not come from me. Mm. So I began slowly, slowly to connect the dots. I could show up every day, address this internal source of wisdom by name, I call it Dear God, which quickly became DG. So DG and I have chats every day. (laughs) 
So I could show up every day, have a chat with DG, let DG know what was going on, but then start asking questions. And slowly I began to notice that in response to the questions, information, guidance, wisdom, comfort was coming through the page that absolutely wasn't on my radar screen. It was not a part of my conscious awareness. And slowly I began to trust it. And slowly I began to make the shift because the guidance, you can imagine, uh, it wasn't anything I wanted. The guidance was how to change my thinking, my behavior, my language. And, of course, in a divorce, what do you do? You bitch and you moan and you scream about, oh, no, no, we're going to talk about her language, his language, his behavior, right? But the voice wouldn't let me. And the voice kept redirecting my, and, and, oh, no, mind you, I argued with it for, you know, but finally I gave in and said, okay, and I changed my language, I changed my thinking, I changed my choices, I changed my behavior, I changed my attitude, and my life <laughs> utterly and completely changed. And the miracle story, we got to tell the listeners. Yes, um, yes. When you read Writing Down Your Soul, I reached yes. a point where I forgave my ex-husband with every cell of my body. And as a result of that miracle of forgiveness, which happened on the page, everything for me happens in deep soul writing on the page, um, there was a miracle. Um, after he died, I discovered that within seven days of my forgiving him, he increased his life insurance, reactivated it, increased it, and named me the beneficiary. And this was a man who threatened to kill me on a regular basis and tried to run me down with his truck in the court parking lot. There is no explanation for the miracle that happened, except, A, that's the tangible proof of the power of forgiveness, but how did the forgiveness happen? It happened through daily deep soul writing. I love that story. And, you know, I and this really is, we're going to jump to talk about forgiveness now, because okay. I think it's so much a part of, of not not just all, not all of your books, but it's so much a part of the invitation you create in the Lotus and the Lily as well. Oh, it is. It, it, and it, the, the third week, um, we'll talk about that so, so the listeners understand how you lead up to creating your soul day and your intention mandala. But the third week is nothing but forgiveness. Seven days of forgiving yourself and others. And when I, this is the process I went through, and so when I wrote the book, I thought, well, it worked for me. I'm going to put it out and share it with people. Almost everyone, when they send me an email, participate in my live global telecourse, meet me when I speak in person, they say the week, the week in the book that changed their lives forever was the week of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think I think we need to talk about forgiveness, you know, from a couple of different points of view. I think that there are a couple of words in the English language. I think that we that that we use, Janet, uh, that are so far removed from what they really do mean. And I think forgive or what they okay. you know or what we actually can embrace about them. And I think forgiveness is one of those words. 
um, anybody that, you know, any one of us that's ever worked in an abuse shelter or have worked with abused women, you know, all you need to be talking with folks about is forgiveness without talking about what it really means and who it's really for. And they will pretty much throw you out of that room. <laughs> right. Have you ever yeah, right. Talked so. to- I mean, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, the first thing you, I, I, I learned this, I have to tell you, I learned this uh, up front, up close and personal. The first thing you do not want to introduce to an abuse group, abuse group of women is the idea of forgiveness. And then the first thing you do want to do is introduce them to forgiveness. So in your language, it is the ultimate paradox, isn't it? Well, it, it, it so is. It so is. And the person who receives the greatest benefit of the forgiving is you. Mm-hmm. Is you. Mm-hmm. Um, what helped me, and I'm trying to find where it is in the book because I know it's in here, is the actual definition. I love to look books up in the Oxford English Dictionary or any good dictionary and find out where they came from. That often is a wonderful mm, discovery of what the words really mean. And forgiveness from the Greek, if I remember correctly, I'm trying to find it so I can read it to you correctly. Means to untie the knot. Mm. To untie the knot. So visualize your gut, because that's where we always feel that lack of forgiveness. You know, we feel the anger, we feel the festering jealousy or envy or, or you know, all those emotions, lumping all of them into unforgiveness. Where do we feel them? We feel them in our gut. So visualize yourself with all of these parts of your body tied, your colon, your small intestine, your, I mean, visualize that knot over the first grade teacher that, you know, ripped up your drawing, the knot over your mother when she punished you for something you didn't deserve, that knot over that first boss that fired you. That I mean, just, you know how many knots there are in there? And so instead of saying, I need to forgive Harry, because we all misunderstand that to mean that it's okay. Of course what Harry did is not okay. But to untie the blocked, cruddy, not in your own gut gives you the opportunity to be free, to breathe, to be healthy. Harry almost becomes meaningless, irrelevant. Harry may, it's the story around Harry that may have tied that knot, but Harry's gone on and done whatever it is. But, but it's we who sort of trap, the analogy I use is that these are your prisoners, and you have this gut full of prisoners, and there's an exercise in the book called Release Your Prisoners, and I use it most, almost every time I speak. And instead of going through, okay, what did Harry do? Let's talk about Harry. You know, what do you think that was all about? Can you find the forgiveness for Harry? Can you look at his story? We don't do any of that. So this is not therapeutic forgiveness, which has absolutely positively its place. I'm not saying people should not go to therapy. Right. I went to therapy going through the divorce, and it was a miraculous support system. But this is soul-level forgiveness. This is soul level, untying the knot. This is freeing yourself. And so, and I recorded it, and you can hear it on my website, Janet Connor, 
And it doesn't matter. I'm so proud of myself. It doesn't matter if you spell it Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R, which is the correct spelling, or C-O-N-N-O-R. The <laughs> universe saved both URLs for me. What are the chances? So oh, I think that's I fabulous. It, isn't yeah. that incredible? Yeah. I was shocked when I discovered that. So anybody can go to JanetConnor.com, click on the lotus and the lily, and I think it says, hear Janet or something like that. And uh, you can hear this 10-minute guided meditation to release your prisoners. Having said that, I would recommend that the listeners don't just jump to my website and listen to that one exercise because it does come almost towards the end of the third week of the Lotus and the Lily. And the Lotus and the Lily is a 30-day program that prepares you gently, lovingly, easily, day by day, step by step, until you're ready to enter that week of forgiveness. Oh, yeah. I want to just tell everybody and you know, about this. It is a 30-day program. And for those of you that want to kind of jump ahead, you know, you're not going to really get to finally forgive until uh, I think it's day 20. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I love this because you, I, I was kind of joking about, oh, don't walk into, you know, your friends at the abuse uh, shelter and talk mm-hmm. about forgiveness. It shouldn't be the first thing you do. But yet – it must be the first thing you do, or at least hold the, in- the intention. Hold However, everything you've done to lead up to that is the foundation that's required to do what you ask us to do on mm-hmm. the 20th day. And I didn't come up with it, just as I didn't set out to become the author of writing down <laughs> your skull and the soul and discover this new way of writing that goes beyond journaling gets you out of the alpha brainwave state, which the brain people have said is as deep as you can go when you're journaling, which is lovely that you can do self-reflection. But if you really want to access divine mind, source, infinite intelligence, the divine by whatever name you want to attach to it, you have to be in the theta brainwave state. Well, just as I never set out to discover this brand new way of writing at the soul level, I didn't set out to write this book, The Lotus and the Lily, I was blessed, and today I would say it was a blessing with the second big trauma of my life. I came so close. I came within 60 days of going bankrupt, and I was fit to be tied. What had happened is Writing Down Your Soul came out, and I happily traipsed across the country teaching thousands of people how to write this way. But as anybody who's written a book knows, it takes a while for those royalty statements to catch up. And so by November, I hadn't earned anything yet from the book, and by November, I was bankrupt because I funded all those trips on my already overly burdened credit card. This seemed so unfair. I was doing my spiritual work. I was saying affirmations. I had a rectangular vision board. I was visualizing what I wanted. I was doing everything all those prosperity books tell us to do, and I was still close to bankruptcy. Mm. So my son came to visit, came home from college for uh, Thanksgiving, and I was so ashamed. Just, oh, God, you know, how could I finally have my first book come out, finally be doing what I want to do, and bingo, I'm bankrupt. And what kind of a model am I for my son? So I took a very deep breath, looked at him across the kitchen table, started to cry, and said, 
sweetheart, your mother's bankrupt. Mm. And he looked back the wisdom of a 20-year-old. He looked back and he said, Mom, are you doing work you love? And I looked back and said, well, yeah. I love my books because by then I was already working on the companion journal, my soul pages. I love my newsletters. I love teaching. I love everything about my writing life. And then he got that kind of look that only a a college kid can get, where they kind of look at you like, God, when are you going to get with the program, honey? You are. He sighed and he said, so what's the problem? He said, Mom, half of America is bankrupt. Call a bankruptcy attorney. (laughs) Reality check here. It was 2009, and half of America was bankrupt. So I called a bankruptcy attorney, and he couldn't see me because half of America was bankrupt, and the other half of America had called him too, and he couldn't see me till February. Now, okay, so the good news is, my son gave me some brilliant advice, and I followed through on it, but now what the hell am I supposed to do between the end of November and the first week of February? So I picked up a pen. I mean, I am a deep soul writer, and I said, D.G., and I told D.G. all about the bankruptcy, my precious son's question, how much I love my work, and I did sort of work myself up into a froth. And there's a lot to be said for working yourself up into a froth because you write really fast and then you don't edit. You, there's no part of your brain present to edit. And I said, what am I supposed to do between now and February? And my hand wrote it out. I got crystal clear guidance. I was to write every single day of the month of December, 31 days, at the deepest, deepest soul level. Now, you know, this is my life, so I wasn't surprised by that. But the next thing that popped out of my hand really stunned me. And and this was the beginning of the lotus and the lily. Only I didn't know that at the time. And the voice said, I was to write for the first week nothing but preparation, nothing but preparation, seven days of preparation, and I pushed back, excuse me, I'm going bankrupt. I do not have a week to play around with preparation. Can't we get to, you know, calling in my magical life, please? And my guidance, and, you know, I've been writing this way for over a decade. And so I do trust my guidance. And the guidance said very gently, Janet, will you please look around the planet Every single spiritual tradition on the planet has a period of preparation before the big feast. Before Christmas, what do you have? A week of, a month of Advent. Before um, the huge feast in the Islam tradition, you have a month, for heaven's sake, of Ramadan. I, and I actually, <laughs> I shouldn't go behind the voices back and check, but I did. I went online to check. In every single spiritual tradition, as far as I can find, there is a period of preparation. Well, it turned out to be pure magic. We are such incredible beings because we're souls. And we have soul-level talents we have never used. So that first week of the Lotus and Lily is fun. 
It's fun. You activate your inner shaman, and you discover just how powerful your spiritual talents are. Well, then I was told for the second week to do nothing but look back at the life I had already lived. You can imagine how much I wanted to do that. Yeah, and i got to talk to you about that because uh, this is really kind of interesting when I was reading this, right? You know, there are some traditions that are really well known about what you have to do to look back. Uh, 12-step programs, by the way. You know, that's, that, that's a group of them. You know, mm-hmm. where if anybody in a 12 step program, one of the things you're going to do is you are going to have to look back. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was fascinated and shocked by week two in the book of look back. And I was intrigued. And I thought to myself, now this is kind of cool because just about every book, I, I've read over 7,000 books in the period that I've done this show. And most of the books will talk to you about not looking back. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You know, do not look back. And, you know, the, the part of the New Thought movement, you know, is mm-hmm. misunderstood. It's a little misunderstood around this. Mm-hmm. You know, the book The Power of Now comes out. And people make an interpretation about that, what that means. But I read this book, and here's what I was struck by. I read this this section of the book. And I, and I, and I also was thrilled about what your exercises were. Mm. Even the part where you talk about look over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think one of the things I started to write, it, it starts out by something like, you know, you know, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather focus on the future. And mm-hmm. I thought, you got that right. <laughs> and, and I wanted you to talk to this, uh, talk to the importance of putting uh, a portion of this book, and actually a very, very important one now that I've read mm-hmm. it, um, about looking back. I know a lot about it from, you know, 12-step programs and other things. But this is the first book, I think, of this nature that I have come across this, where mm-hmm. it does ask to look back. The only other body of writing that I feel does the same thing is some of the works of Emma Curtis Hopkins. So I wanted you to talk about this idea of looking back. And, boy, haven't you really gone up against the edge. (laughs) Well, I pushed back on that guidance, too, just like I pushed back on preparation. I so didn't want to do this. Not because so much the pain of it or the the gunk that might be back there, but I just felt this time pressure. I, I, I already know what's back there. I can't do that, please. And the guidance was so strict, Pat, it really did kind of almost like my mother with her finger out going, you know, shaking the finger. But it was right. In the end, it was right. The guidance said, you have no business. How strong is that? You have no business trying to look forward and create something new until you find all the wisdom, all the guidance, all the blessings in the life you have already created. Because guess what? You created it. So I, I sighed and went, okay, okay, a week of looking back. There, I'm, I'm going to talk about just one experience of the seven because okay. it's the one that people are just stunned by. And okay. I think it explains why this week of looking back or the experience of looking back, period, is so healing and so holy. And it's, the, it's day 11, thought worms. That oh, yeah. worms be gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I really chuckled. And you know, I, I the uh, the number eleven is is my uh, my soul number. It's my birthday, and I got to this chapter, and I have to tell you, my first reaction was, oh my gosh! Out of all the things she could have written on day eleven, <laughs> thought worms be gone. But then I read it, so I'd love for you to talk about this. Well, the thought worm, just as you can hear by what it's called, <laughs> is a living parasite. Mm-hmm. And your thought worms are these ancient. You've been carrying them around all this whole lifetime. They probably were planted, in my case anyway, um, by the time I was three years old. My particular thought worm was about panic about money. There isn't enough money. And I realized in the course of doing my deep soul writing, it was a stunning awareness that this isn't my thought worm. This wasn't my fear. I haven't missed a meal my life. I managed to get a couple of degrees. Now, mind you, my first one was in education of the deaf, so I wasn't exactly making a killing. But I have managed to always, always, always make a living and, and be able to save some money as well. So where did this hysterical, colon-level panic about money come from? It was only in my deep soul writing that I realized my poor mother, my poor, poor mother, when I was born, third child, right after World War II, boom, 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 there was no housing for the soldiers that came back, and my father came back late because he had to do a bunch of stuff to get a bunch of equipment returned. So when the other soldiers came back, they scarfed up what little bit of apartment space was available. So my mother, my parents, with two children already and pregnant with a third, were living in four rooms on the south side of Chicago. And Daddy hadn't yet figured out how he was going to make a living. And I suddenly was her. I suddenly was on a hot June day in the city of Chicago before air conditioning, sweating her way through labor and absolutely terrified. How in the world am I going to take care of three children when my husband doesn't, we have no space and no money. And what, what came to me in my deep soul writing is her thought worm came right through the placenta. And I have carried it because she fretted about money her entire life. Yeah. I carried it. And it's alive. This is not, a, it's not just, my, my understanding that or knowing it is not enough. Now I need to get it out of me. And so through deep soul writing, I was able to identify it and write a prayer. I'll go ahead and read it to everybody. It's on page 61 if anybody happens to have the lotus and lily in their hands. This is how you get rid of your thought worm. It's not enough to consciously know that you have it because we've all done that. We've all done that. We know these old, maybe it's I'm not good enough, there isn't enough. Uh, life is hard, you know, your grandmother probably beat it into you when you were three years old. And then you keep, you know, that brain science that says what fires together, wires together. When you repeat a particular panicky situation, a particular fear emotion, you are literally, literally, this is brain uh, truth, you are literally etching this fear thought in your brain until it's like a deep ridge. Well, so mine was um, all about money, the fear of money. There isn't enough money. I'll never have enough. So here is my prayer. And what I say in the Lotus and Lily is, 
don't just read Janet's prayer. You've got to write your own. That's the whole mm-hmm. point of the Lotus and Lily is I give you these exercises, but I say, no, go do it yourself for yourself in your own unique and special way. But here's the prayer I wrote. Dear God, I am ready to release my thought worm. There isn't enough money. It has completed its mission and delivered its gifts. Now, that's a part of the thought worm exercise is that you sit down with this negative thought, this negative power that has such dominion over you. And instead of battling it, because you can't, the more you push something away, <laughs> you know, we've all played that game. What's that uh, sort of proverb, what you resist persists? Oh, my you know, gosh. So telling yeah. it to go away isn't going to make yeah. it go away. But sitting down with it and saying, well, okay, what good have you given me? Well, total panic about money did get me a couple of degrees and an unbelievable work ethic. I am capable of pumping out a book a year and teaching my six courses. And now I have a radio show on Thursdays on Unity Online Radio. I, you know, I, I, even I look at my calendar and say, how is it possible that no human <laughs> being can do all this? Well, the fear of money. So that's a gift that is a positive. And so you bless the gifts that you have received. Here's the rest of the prayer. Okay. I no longer need it. And I no longer want it inside me. It is no longer true for me. What is true is that there is, was, and always will be plenty of money. I now ask that the thought worm, there isn't enough money, be lifted out of me and sent on its way for its own spiritual evolution and for the highest good and mutual benefit of everyone concerned. Thank you, worm. I am free. Thank you, mother. That's where I got it. I am free. Thank you, God. I am free. And because I did that in deep soul writing and in a very prayerful state, I could feel it. I could feel it, just like it was a one of those big old tapeworms coming up my chakras and out the top of my head. And the confirmation I got was that night I had the wackiest dream in which oh. my mother and I, come on, I mean, you know, I'm not a dream interpreter, but I don't think you have to be to figure this out. My mother and I are living in a really, really, really tall building. We have some sort of apartment at the top of this building, and the top of the building came off. <laughs> and I was fine, and she was fine, even though the top of the building completely fell off. Yeah, And I just I, I woke up laughing. Yeah, I love that metaphor, though, because, you know, there is a phrase, open at the top, which, you know, which means, you know, for a lot of people listening to this, I mean, that's a beautiful dream, actually, and I won't go into an interpretation of it, but here's what I want to, I want to ask you about. When I listen, when I read your book, um, and, and even listening to you now, the one part of the book that I was so eager to get to, and I will tell you what it is, um, it's day 25, and if you go to day 25, for those of you that are in the book, um, one four, page 147, you go to the book, and there are beautiful, beautiful, you know, you get these beautiful, um, you know, lessons from Jesus, from Buddha. Yeah. And, and so I want to just read this because I, I want to talk about this, this trust thermometer. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. It says, um, in truth, I tell you, if you have faith, and do not doubt at all. Not only will you do what I have done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, 
be pulled up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you have faith, everything you ask for in prayer, you will receive. And I know that one of my other favorite quotes is by Charles Fillmore. And one of the things that I know he said, which I learned a long time ago, the first time somebody handed me one of Catherine Ponder's books, one of the first books I've ever read that was anything other than uh, the traditional Bible. One of his quotes goes like this. It's something like this. It's like the spiritual substance from which all from which comes all visible wealth is never depleted. And I had to read it. And I'm like, what? And I go back. The spiritual substance from which all visible wealth is never depleted. The spiritual substance from which all, from which comes all mm-hmm. visible wealth is never depleted. Never depleted? You mean really never? And then and then he goes on to say something like, yeah, this is me now. I'm talking about the echo of me, right? The worm. Uh, and, and then he goes and he says, it is right within you all the time and mm-hmm. responds to your faith in it and your demands on it. And I mm-hmm. thought that was my introduction to the word faith coming out of a very strong, you know, early Christian you know, uh, background, but putting the two together, what you talk about on day 25, I have found to be one of the most powerful lessons in my life, you know, sitting 17 years old in a parking lot, homeless and not having a place to go, my clothes thrown in my car, uh, making a conscious decision to not go live with friends that were drug addicts and alcoholics. Uh You know, there is a moment where you look up. And on the day that I looked up, I looked up at the Greenbrook Motel. And for whatever voice I heard on that day, it called me to go over there. And it was a pivotal moment. But without faith that looking up had any, any, any reference at all, it is so difficult to march forward. And I think you talk about your faith throughout this book in so many ways. And I wanted you to talk to this quote, you know, and the book really, you know, you're talking about, you know, these are the, these are the teachings of Jesus and Buddha. And these teachings, you know, that both you and I relate to, I think so really well, are so amazingly powerful. Every day I read another one and I think, oh, my God, I've read that five times and it didn't mean then what it does now. So I'd love for you to talk to this because I don't care how many times I've read this quote, how many times I've read his quotes or anybody else's quote. They don't mean the same thing for me on different days. So I'd love for you to talk about trust. Well, trust is in the end. Isn't that just it? Yes, that's just it. Either you trust that you are here for a divine purpose or not. You trust that there is divine order or not. You trust that you are loved or not. You trust that your life is unfolding in some way as it should. You trust that you're a soul or not. In the end, there ain't nothing else but trust. But Americans... We're so groomed, you do it, you fix it, you think it, you make it, you push, you make stuff happen. And we separate our, at least this is the way I grew up in the 50s, uh, Irish Roman Catholic in the city of Chicago, observing that, okay, everybody goes to church on Sunday, everybody says the prayers on Sunday, everybody says the rosary, everybody's doing this stuff, 
But on a day-to-day basis, Monday through Saturday, I didn't see anybody really connecting, walking, walking this earth hand-in-hand with the divine, trusting, knowing, peace on their face. I saw this discrepancy. This is how we behave on Sunday. (laughs) And the things we say on Sunday, and this is the way it looks the rest of the week. And it was, uh, you know, a hard slog the rest of the week. And so trust for me, for me, was a big step. And I had to stumble into trust because back when I had no resources going through the divorce, all my clients disappeared, almost all my friends. I was down to like five people that were talking to me. I lost the house. My son had to drop out of uh, this adorable private school he was in. I lost everything. And all I had was me and the page. I'd pick up a pen every day and say, Dear God, and have a conversation with God. I had nothing. My back was so up against the wall, I had to trust. And that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a good thing. I mean, not that I want everybody else to (laughs) go to the edge of the cliff in order to discover that you can trust. I'd much rather put my books out there. Don't wait till your back is up against a wall. You can have this loving relationship with the divine all the time. You don't have to wait till you're terrified. But in my case, it was terror. And I, one day, the first time I, um, just out of desperation, asked, for help in my deep soul writing in 1997, I wrote, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you are. Thank you in advance for $10,000 for the attorney. Mm. 48 hours later, 48 hours later, I had $10,000. I connected those dots, and I realized how safe I was, how utter I was always protected. So you'd think, and I tell a whole bunch of miracle stories in writing down your soul, you'd think that I always was in that state of trust, but it's the human condition to fall out of it, fall out of it, fall out of it, get yourself back up, fall out of it. And so here I am, deep in the lotus and lily. Um, I was writing it in 2009, December of 2009, and suddenly I realized, Do I trust you? I mean, here I am just assuming that you are carrying me through December here and something's good going to happen. If it doesn't, I'm going to lose my home. My son will probably have to drop out of college. I don't know what I'm going to do. And and so I just blurted out, can I trust you? (laughs) And I got the most adorable answer. And, of course, it's a paradox. Uh The path to trust is trust. The path to trust is to trust. Yeah. You it's a decision. It's a decision. So yeah. I can't lay out for you. Put put your left foot on that step and now put your right foot on that step and when you cross these, you know, 97 steps, you're suddenly going to have this loving trusting relationship with the divine and with your soul and with your life. Ain't like that. The path to trust is to trust. 
it's and people have struggled. I mean, I've had people oh. in my classes go, ah, can't, yeah. can't you make it? A, isn't there some other way? Isn't there some roundabout way where you can remember the Indiana Jones guy, that yeah. first movie? And yeah. um, he has to put one foot out where you can't see anything. But when he puts his foot out, bingo, suddenly there is a, um, a brick wall or a path that he's walking on. I remember being absolutely terrified watching Harrison Ford put his foot out because it looks like he's about to put it out in space. But he had no choice. He had to trust that something would be there or that he would fall and die. Exactly. You and know, it's really fascinating. Spiritual, talk about a spiritual scene in a movie. But, you know, see, this is really, and I think that, you know, everything that is in the is in your book prior to that uh and i just want to remind everyone for those of you that have tuned in late and you're you're wondering about you know who who's who i'm chatting with here on the dr pacho janet connor is here and i just want to tell everybody go to the website janetconnor.com uh we're talking about the lotus and the lily and a whole lot of things uh and, and and you know one of the things that i'm really struck by too in in these last couple moments here is that you really do take folks on a journey in this book. So when they get to this chapter, you know, quite a bit of that baggage, um, as we like to call it in our culture, quite a bit of that baggage has been disintegrated or mm-hmm. dissolved. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the agony of our, our of whatever we were churning around that was anything but our soul is in remission of sorts. And so, you know, this is perfect when you come here because you've had, you, you've looked in to the eye of the tiger. So have I, uh, I've been homeless, uh, in two, you in 2009, right? Mm -hmm. 2009. I talk about the year 2009. I've talked to numerologists about the year 2009. It was, I never thought in my life that I would have a year like 2009. I thought that being homeless at 17, that losing the job after 25, all of that. But 2009, it stripped the soul to shreds and asked that you please trust that in a breath of air, nothing has been shred. I mean... I I so understand your journey for people that are listening to this show. These folks know what it's like to go into work every day and not sure if they're going to have a job the next day. You know, the rise in autoimmune disease is so great and autism and you name it that folks wonder if they will ever have their health back. So what you've been able to write about and the invitation that you've given all of us is more than an invitation of empowerment. It's really an invitation of power. Mm-hmm. The power that we're always afraid to claim for ourselves. And in the paradoxes that you, you've held so strongly in the book. And I, I really thank you for doing that, for inviting us, not only into the personal part of your life, because it really does take courage to talk about some of the things we do, but also to share the depth and the breadth of your personal resurrection. And I'm thrilled to do it because the miracle at the end was I had my soul day after the whole month of December. I stumbled upon the great truth, the teaching of the Buddha, when conditions are sufficient, 
that's when you get your manifestation. You have to sure. first create the, the conditions. And then I verified that when, when I read the Aramaic translation of what we read, Jesus saying is, seek ye first the kingdom. Uh-huh. That's creating the conditions, and all else shall be provided. There is a manifestation. The two of them taught exactly, exactly the same thing. Stop asking for anything and instead create the fertile conditions. And so the end of the book is you have this soul day, you discover your own conditions, you create an intention mandala, and talk about a miraculous engine of change, and your life flies forward. I was, 30 days later, when I saw the attorney the first week of February, I had made so much money that he said I no longer qualified for bankruptcy. Oh, jeez. It's a delicious way to live. So there's no more law of attraction. There's no more focusing on what I want or asking for what I want in my life. Instead, I follow the wisdom of Buddha and Jesus, and I create the fertile conditions in my life. So the Lotus and the Lily book helps your your listeners walk through the week of preparation, the week of looking back, the week of forgiving, and then the fourth week you begin to look ahead to the life you want to create. And then you're ready for your soul day and your intention mandala. And I promise everybody listening, they will discover that Buddha and Jesus were right. When you create the fertile conditions in your life, the universe will supply you with things you don't even know to ask for. <laughs> they just come. Life I love becomes it. delicious. And talk about trust. Your level of trust in your relationship with the universe will expand load open. Wow. Thank you so much for joining me here today. It's a pleasure. I have one last uh, question for you. What's your personal message? What, what would you like to leave us with here today? The one thing, everything I talk about, every one of my books, that I have basically one message, you're a soul. You're a soul. And through our souls, every single one of us has direct an immediate access to limitless, limitless divine guidance, wisdom, beauty, grace, protection. No one is alone, not for one second of your life. Every single listener is a soul who has, through that soul, direct and immediate access to the divine. Mm. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It's really been a pleasure and an honor. And it's been a pleasure and an honor to be with you, Pat. Mm. Thank you. Wow. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning us in, turning us on. Please make sure you go get your copy of The Lotus and the Lily. You can go to Janet's website. There's lots of things on Janet's website. Go to JanetConnor.com. Um, this is going to be a 30-day soul program that will truly enable you to walk the life that you absolutely deserve. For all of you out there, thank you for tuning us in, turning us on. For more information about The Dr. Pat Show, go to thedrpatshow.com. And if you've missed any part of that, just give us a couple days. We'll get that archive up. We'll see you next time. So bad.
Someday, not somehow.